take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Sports science, strength and conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Today's episode of the Decoding Excellence Show is brought to you by VOD Performance. VOD Performance is the makers of the Nord Board, the Dashboard, and the Groin Bar. Whether it's return to play, performance testing, or rehabilitation, VOD Performance has the tools you need. So you might be asking yourself, who's actually using this performance technology? I don't know, say 14 different NFL teams, over 19 NCAA teams, 15 different English Premier teams, five NBA, six MLB teams, and many They have the tools you need to get the very best out of your athletes. Check them out at vaudeperformance.com. Today on the show, we have Coach Tyler Friedrich. Tyler Friedrich is joining us from Stanford University, and he is a sports performance coach, and he is responsible for women's volleyball, beach volleyball, women's rowing, and men's water polo. Before coming to Stanford, Coach Friedrich was a sports performance coach at Arizona State University, where he has worked with football, women's volleyball, beach volleyball, men's and women's swimming and diving, triathlon, hockey and wrestling, a number of sports, so a wide breadth of background to different athletic populations. Tyler's also worked as an assistant strength and conditioning coach at the University of Dayton, where he assisted with football, volleyball, track and field, women's basketball, and men's and women's soccer. Today on the show, we talk about a lot of different things, including some of the best advice that Coach Friedrich has received in his coaching journey, some of the successes, some of the failures, and some of the things that he does and how he utilizes technology to keep his athletes healthy and playing at the very best when it counts the most. This is a wide-ranging conversation, one that includes a lot of technical and tactical discussion about sport preparation, but it also includes many of the things that I like to discuss on each one of these Decoding Excellence episodes, which is the intangibles, the tools, the tactics, the mindset that goes into elite performance. And Coach Friedrich shares his thoughts and some of the things that he has navigated throughout his own coaching journey. This was a fun episode to record with Coach Friedrich. I took a lot away from this episode, and I know that you will too. This one will be a great one for you if you are interested in any of the sports performance technologies and Coach Friedrich's journey. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Coach Tyler Friedrich. Coach Friedrich, hey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited to excited to get this thing going here. Yeah, man. I am uh, uh, likewise. You know, I know we've caught up when you guys came out and visited us in Boulder, Colorado, and we've uh, shared a conversation together and just kind of briefly touched base. But I, I'm glad to finally get you on the Decoding Excellence show and and uh, and provide the audience just an opportunity, a lens to get into seeing and and understanding who you are as a coach and for you to share your journey uh, in your coaching profession about where you are and how you're doing. So before we uh, before we get into some of the questions that we have in this interview, I'd, I'd love just to 
quickly have or provide an opportunity for you to share a little bit about what you're currently doing at Stanford and and your current role and and how that's evolved over the last couple of years, man? Yeah, so right now uh, I'm a sports performance coach at Stanford University. Uh, my teams are women's volleyball, beach volleyball, women's rowing, and men's water polo. Um, and so those are my sports right now. Uh, pretty highly involved. My, my I would say my main priority is probably the the volleyball team. Um, it's one of our higher priority sports. Um, probably one of our our over the over the decades. Probably our 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 best sport, I would say, in terms of producing national championships. Um, so pretty highly involved with them. And we're doing, from a technology standpoint, we're doing a ton of stuff from, uh, we're using the Catapult GPS. Uh, we're doing a bunch of uh, wellness tracking, uh, fatigue management, all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty, pretty highly involved. Um, but currently, that, th- those, are my, those are my four sports right now at Stanford. Excellent, man. Because, and, and we're going to get a, get into talking a little bit about volleyball and just your role and uh, and the usual strength and conditioning touch points, you know, wellness questionnaires, monitoring, uh, the workload monitoring that you're doing and utilizing with Catapult. Uh, But I'm going to maybe kind of on kind of rewind the tape a little bit, because I think that's, you know, like right now in that we're, we're discussing sort of the highlight reel, right? Like, and I know a Mm -hmm. lot of, uh, a lot of other strength conditioning coaches would look to you and look at what you guys are doing at Stanford and say, oh man, I, I wish I could do this, but without sort of full understanding of the journey that you've taken and sort of how you've had to earn your right into using some of this technology and, and through the various stops to other universities yet you've gone through. So let me rewind this and sort of, uh, maybe juxtapose the question to this, like, how did you first get involved in strength and conditioning coaching and, and maybe not only how, but why? That's a great question. Um, I've been involved in, in lifting weights since I was about 12 years old. I was playing Pop Warner football, and uh, a kid that I played with, his dad was a physical therapist. And so, me and two other buddies, we went in there and started lifting, you know, kind of in the rehab area. They had, you know, we'd bench press and squat, all that kind of stuff, and um, started to learn like some of the Olympic lifts. So, from that standpoint, I've always been intrigued and always been involved in weightlifting and, and training for sport. Um, I played sport, I've been into sport and playing sports my entire life. You know, I played primarily football through high school and in college. Um, and that's kind of how I got going with this. So I, I knew I wanted to be involved in athletics in one way or another. I wasn't sure if that was physical therapy or athletic training. I just knew I wanted to be involved with athletes. So I did my undergrad at the University of Dayton. And, you know, I enrolled as exercise physiology major, just kind of leaving it open. You know, there was we, we kind of had two paths. One was more of like a uh, personal training type path. And one was more of like the higher science side. And and, you know, my sophomore year over the summer, I did an internship uh, in corporate wellness and absolutely hated it. <laughs> it just was not for me. Um, you know, I think it's a great industry. I think those, those are great jobs. But for me, it wasn't what I wanted. So when I went back to school in the fall, um, I sat down in my strength coach coach's office, Mark Toby. Um, and I said, Hey man, I want to be you. I want to be a strength coach. I want to work in college athletics and I want to do what you do. And he said, all right, come work for me. We'll see you at 6am tomorrow. And you know, the rest is history. Um, so to speak. So was able to be really, really, really fortunate and, and work with him. My last two years of undergrad, uh, internships along the way. I spent a summer at an Olympic training center in Lake Placid, which was awesome. Spent one summer down at LSU with coach Moffitt, working with the football program down there. Um, 
was hired back at, at Dayton as a GA, was h- then hired full time. Um, so again, extremely, extremely fortunate to, you know, to coach Toby and, and, you know, for giving us opportunities early on, um, you know, that's kind of how I got started. And, you know, as the path has gone on, I spent a couple years at Dayton, a couple years or three or four years at Arizona state. And here I am, uh, just running out my first year at Stanford, actually just a couple of days ago. So that's been, that's been the path up to this point. Congratulations on the uh, the work anniversary and and what a kind of an yeah. interesting interesting journey, right? Like, and it sort of mirrors some of my own in some respects. But to uh, to sit across from a potential mentor and uh, sort of at this crossroads of life, like what do what what path do I want to go down? Is it going to be exercise science and going to coaching or the the corporate wellness or the personal training route, and then sort of to to sit across from somebody and be like, you know what? I, I want your job. I want to do what you're doing. Yeah. And then uh, to have them take a, to risk essentially on you and say, all right, well, sure. Yeah. Show up, show up at 6am in the morning. Uh, that's, that reminds me so much of sort of my own sort of pathway at Michigan state. But I, I would have Absolutely. to imagine that at, uh, at Dayton and, and no disrespect to Dayton, just, I, I think it's more of a, uh, a representation of the industry of how we're evolving and what we're using. I'm, I'm sure at that time it wasn't, you know, heavily involved in using catapult or workload monitoring or wellness questionnaires or the technology that you now currently have at, uh, at Stanford. No, we had none of that stuff. I mean, it was just, he and I really for years, like we had, we'd have various interns kind of coming through through our exercise science department. But I mean, it's just the two of us. And I think there were 17 teams on campus and away we went. We worked every sport besides men's basketball and baseball. Um, and we did everything. So uh, every summer, I, I lived in Columbus, so I would drive down every summer and I would uh, uh, sand all of our platforms <laughs> and then <laughs> you know, take, uh, reseal them. So, you know, make sure year to year we were okay. If, if a box broke, we're the ones that were fixing it or build new ones. Um, all of our plate holders, same thing, was just, was just two by fours. You know, so we did every little thing. If if the racks were broken or if anything broke, we were the ones doing it. We did, we did all the cleaning, everything. So um, really great experience um, to start there just because it was tough. And you learn a lot about how to make a lot out of very little. Um, and we, you know, in, in, in hindsight or looking back on it, like the – in, in, in ter- comparison to the A10, like we were one of the top tier facilities, probably one of the top, you know, higher level um, athletic programs, just in terms of like success. So we were actually like there were schools that were, you know, didn't have full time strength coaches, wow. um, and so f- we, we were in a pretty good position. But you know, looking back on it now, after being through and being in, you know, some Pac-12 programs for four or five years, you know, it was a grind. Um, but it was you learned so much. And, you know, Mark, he was hard on me. Like he, and I, and I really appreciate that. I think just having played for him and him being my strength coach, I think that he just, I, I know he felt very comfortable in being tough on me and holding me to a higher standard, which, you know, long term has benefited me so much. So I am forever grateful uh, to him and, 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 and kind of what we built together. I think now they built a brand new weight room. So now they're living the good life over there. Like things are, things are looking up for them since in the last <laughs> couple of years. And I, I think that's common, right? Like, and uh, in even in my own journey and, and some of uh, our, our interns' journeys, I try to share that same story. In that, you know, so often it's 
It's a young professional starting to get into the field that wants to uh, to immediately utilize the latest bells and whistles. And it's there's some uh, there's some some wisdom in actually having to get your hands dirty and and to go through and build it yourself and not have the tools. You become a better craftsman when you don't have to rely on technology. You get to build your own sort of tool set uh, by yourself before having to have it right out of the box ready to go. Exactly. It's helped me so much with just just simple problem solving. You know, I think if you're at a university that has everything, you know, and you're an intern, that's what you learn. You, you kind of forget what it's like or you don't you don't learn what it's like to have to figure everything out. Like we didn't have a nutritionist. We did the nutrition, <laughs> you know, so you'd learn things that you would never learn along the way, you know, depending on your resources. And that's not I'm not comparing one school to the other or saying that having resources makes you less of a strength coach. I'm just saying, you know, some of the things that you're exposed to in that situation can you really benefit you as, as your career moves on? Yeah, absolutely. It's the, uh, it's similar to like Ryan holiday's book, the obstacle is the way when you don't have a nutritionist, you, you have the opportunity to learn that. And when you don't have some of the workload monitoring technologies or sport performance technologies, you, you have to learn the craftsmanship of how to do it. And, uh, I think when you get your hands in the engine and you're building it yourself, it makes you appreciate the tools, the technology and the resources you have when you actually do have them. But Kind of I, to, to continue to keep this thing moving a little bit, you, you've already talked a little bit about Coach Toby and some of the mentors that you've had uh, in your own journey. But I want to continue to rewind this thing and, and maybe go a little bit further into your history. But along sort of maybe like your, your home life, did you ever have any sort of pa- like your parents or family, friends or anybody that was really influential into maybe setting you down? this sort of educator, this, this coaching role, was there anybody in that sort of early life that, that helped inspire you or motivate you or, or acted as an influence for you? My parents have always been extremely, extremely supportive of everything I've done throughout my entire life. So I have not a single, single complaint, you know, in terms of my home life. Um, I would say my mom's a teacher, so that's probably where, you know, this internal drive to teach and educate um, athletes or just individuals comes from. So I think that's just kind of in my, in my bloodline. Um, but, you know, like in terms of the home life, I just I think I just was I was really fortunate growing up to have great coaches. And along the way, like whether it be a pop or football or in high school, like I had a strength coach in high school. He was also our linebackers coach. He was a walk on at Ohio State. And so he did all of our strength and conditioning um, and he was tough on us. And at the time I hated him to be honest with you, but you know, it's little things like that where you just, you kind of look back on it and, and laugh now. It's like, if I just had known what I know now, like thing, I, I think I would have appreciated those moments, you know, so much more. Um, my entire family to kind of rewind again, like my entire family, we've always been highly involved in sports. Um, so I think always being in that that type of environment, you know, just, it just fosters leadership. It fosters competitiveness. And that's something that as you, as you grow up and you enter the real world, that those are good qualities to have loyalty, leadership, commitment. Um, those are all things that playing a sport, you know, your entire life essentially really helps, uh, helps you develop as a person. And ultimately now as, as a strength and conditioning professional. Yeah, no doubt. And there's, you know, there's a couple of things in that that uh, mirrors mine as well. You know, like I, as we go through this, I think I'm finding more commonalities. And and the more interviews I do with other strength coaches, I think there's more similarities than differences between us all. But like, you know, my mother as well was a, a fifth grade educator for over 30 years. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, I think even for me, it's like, 
that rich sort of education background uh, sort of mirrored and sort of seeped into my own life of, you know, I very early on in sport as well as I was, you know, a wrestler, I, I never thought about really wanting to become an educator. But uh, the more I got involved in sport and the more that I saw the vehicle of education and how it impacts people's lives, it was also very similar to to your own journey in that that regard. But, you know, I, I think somebody from the outside looking in and and uh, and get to see sort of you on the stage that you're at with with a proverbial powerhouse volleyball team like you have and <laughs> yeah. the resources that you have at Stanford, they, they could very easily sort of assume that that's the highlight reel, right? Like there's never you must have it great. There's never anything bad. You've never had any failure. And so often, the more that I talk with other coaches, uh, it's almost like we've gotten to where we've gotten through failure, through adversity, through those hardships. And I, I was just curious from one coach to another, has there ever been a failure? Or do you have any you know, stories or anything like your favorite failures or apparent failures that, that in the moment you're like, man, you know, like here I am. This is the worst thing that could ever possibly happen, happen to me. But later in hindsight, when it's 50-50, you know, like, or 20-20 hindsight, that later sets you up for success. Are there any things like that in your own journey that, that maybe seemed like a failure but set you up for success later? Yeah, I think that, I think as you progress and as you get more and more experience, like, th- these things just, just pop up. I don't think I've won, like, favorite failure or one that really stands in my mind, but I know that as years have gone on, like when I was, when I first got into this, I was honest, I was kind of a hothead. Um, and so I had a hard time adapting or adjusting to a coach changing a schedule, and, you know? And so you, you, sometimes you say things or, you know, you make a decision that is a little, little, little rash and it's not exactly like the, the best in terms of a most professional relationship and, and understanding that when, you know, when you work with a sport coach or athletic trainer, whoever it is, that maybe some give and take. So those are the failures along the way that aren't necessarily like earth shattering. Um, they aren't necessarily like going to make or break your career, or I guess they could make or break your career. It depends on what the mistake is, <laughs> but those are things that as you go along, like you just learn from those. And I look back and it's like, man, like if I had just been a little bit more, level-headed and just taking that in stride a little better like I think that experience would have been you know would have been a whole lot more smooth and you know my first year at Arizona State you know uh, it's one of my athletic trainers and I we just did not get along it just was you know and honestly like for no real reason I think we were both just a little stubborn and a little just kind of you know sticking to our guns and instead of just sitting down and having like a civil conversation to give and take a little bit you know and meet in the middle you know, and said, you know, we just were too stubborn about it. And so, you know, it, it was a kind of a tumultuous relationship for my first six months there. And that, that just wasn't necessary. And then, you know, we rectified the situation and the back half of, of you know, she, she was a, she was a GA. So the back half of, of her GA ship, I thought we were great. And it's just like, why do we wait six months to be like this? And <laughs> our relationship now is great. The service we're giving our athletes is so much better. Like, what do we, why do we take this long to get to this point? So, I think it's little things like that that you know you just that that pop up little failures along the way you know whether it be things you say or things you do or don't do. Um, I think that you know there's there's quite a few of those you know throughout my career. You know, I have similar stories. I think that you know the when you're sitting and you're talking with one coach or another that it's you know these little bushfires, if you will, right? That yes. don't necessarily have to be uh, the worst case scenarios or the biggest sort of events, but it's 
it's so much better when you can just sort of have a civil conversation and put these fires out initially and move on and, and to have a great growing relationship after that fact. But, you know, I, I, I want to return back to this sort of mentorship uh, aspect of it because that's, a you know, the listening audience of the Decoding Excellence show loves the details of these things. And they I think they're mostly type A personalities, maybe like myself. But, you know, was there anything that, you know, your coaches that you've worked for or worked under, was there any particular way that you would say they helped shape your path to who you are as a coach today? lessons or experiences or or stories that really resonate with you that really made you the coach that you are today? I would say that the most common thread or the, most, or the, or the biggest commonality between every place that I've been and every mentor boss I have had has been they've thrown me to the fire. Yeah. <laughs> and which at the time, it sucks. You know, I'm type A as well. So I like a plan. I like structure. I like knowing exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and as we all know in strength and conditioning, we plan our asses off, but it never turns out that way or, or very rarely does it follow like the script that we want. And so whether it be, you know, down at LSU or at the Olympic training center or at Dayton, whatever the case may be, it's been, you know, the kind of, kind of thrown into the fire and you got to learn on the fly. And again, like I think at the time it's brutal and it's frustrating and it can kind of put some doubt in your mind, but as the experience goes on and as, as uh, you know, the more and more experience you get, you learn and you adapt and you grow. Then all of a sudden, like you're, you're killing it. You're rolling. You're feeling really confident. You have a really good grasp on, on everything. Um, and that, that, that to me has been, you know, everywhere I've been, it, it's kind of been that way. And, you know, even down at LSU with Coach Moffitt, you know, we, this was back before the five coach rule. This was, you know, this is a while back. Um, you know, the interns, basically they, they would sign interns five or six or seven, you know, they're typically walk-ons, but like, Hey, these are your guys. So you're down on those, on those racks on the end. And like, it's your job to get these guys right. So yes, while they're probably non-contributors in the grand scheme of things, like that's, you know, for your first day on the job down at, you know, work with coach Moffitt. And if anyone knows coach Moffitt, he's a pretty intense dude. It's a pretty intense program. You know, here we go. Like we're rolling. So, um, you know, it's just situations like that. Same thing at Dayton. Like, it's just like, Hey, I mean, I'm a junior undergrad and it's like, Hey, you're going to be, you're going to write the program and run the, run the strength program for the women's rowing team. Here we go. Okay. Like I really didn't know what to do. So, you know, you just learn along the way. And so that's one thing I, I'm ultra appreciative of all of, all of my mentors along the way for having to put me through situations like that, because it just makes you so much better. And that's one thing if I could like, you know, share some wisdom with a younger strength coach or, you know, interns or whatever the case may be. It's, it's, don't be afraid, you know, don't be nervous in those situations. Like they're going to happen, but that's okay. Like you just got to stay calm, stay composed, fight through it. And on the, when you get out on, on the back end of it, when you get spit out, like you're going to be a way better coach and be way more prepared, uh, for anything that's upcoming and any job interview you can go into, like you can throw that out there and say, Hey, like here's something that I struggle with. Here's how overcame it and now I'm on the backside of this thing I'm dominating so that's something that I am, am, am truly grateful you know across the board and that sort of reminds me a lot of you know the same sort of environment that Ken Manny had at Michigan State mm -hmm. and Red Wakeham on the Olympic side is just that the 
intensity, but also the aspect of really taking ownership of, of what your role was and what your job was. And, you know, like I remember the first couple months on the job as a lowly intern, it's like, you know, you are wiping down machines and you're putting weights away. And it's like, you better have extreme sort of ownership of, of doing that because you are essentially putting your namesake on whatever various tasks it was. Absolutely. And it was like jumping in and whether it's the most mundane or, or mediocre task of what it could possibly be. It was like, this is a representation of you and your character and who you are and the level of attention to detail that you have. And that, you know, like you, you essentially earned your stripes as you continue to do it. So like for me, it was like, I'm going to make sure that this floor is the cleanest floor possible. And these 100%. machines are the cleanest. And then over time, it's like as you go through that and you become a graduate assistant, like same way, the representation and the attention to detail in the programming and the way that you coach, it's just it it, it materializes to every aspect of, of what you're doing in coaching. So I you talked about that piece of advice and I, I thank you so much for sharing it. And I I want to continue to go down this sort of advice giving road for a moment because I think that you are a guy that has a lot of real world advice um, and, you know, various stops along your way from Dayton to Arizona State. You're working your way through the Pac-12 here and now at Stanford. You know, we have and you're you're probably very similar in it in that, you know, we have these great high quality interns that are are facilitating and helping with programs and they're learning so much right now. And I, I know we have uh, three interns here at this facility, our, our basketball only facility, really basketball volleyball facility here at Coors Events Center and tremendous interns that are smart and capable. And what I fear sometimes, and this is sort of that one coach to another and the mentorship that we provide is that sometimes I fear that you know, their noses are deep in the NSCA textbook. They're going through their CSCCA practicum and, and getting that experience and learning anatomy and physiology and exercise science that maybe they're not having necessarily the real world experience, the real world mm-hmm. advice they need to be successful when they actually do get that first full-time position or that graduate assistant position. So you've already talked about the flexibility and the adaptability a little bit, but is there any sort of advice that you would give to a young, passionate, you know, wannabe strength and conditioning intern that's just ready to take that leap into that first full G- GA role or into that first full-time entry position? Is there any sort of advice that you would give them to make that jump from one level to the next? Yeah. So when, when I ran the intern program at ASU, we would tell, we would tell our, our interns kind of the same thing is – is don't be afraid to hop in there uh, and be involved and coach. Um, but that being said, tread lightly. Don't overstep your bounds. So I, I know it's easy to say, and it's kind of it, it, it's it's a gray area, and it's kind of ambiguous in terms of like well, what what is overstepping, what is not. Um, but we just kind of said like you know, listen, learn, and then start like coaching where you can. So you know, great opportunities or if, if there's any someone, you know, someone on an, on an injured card, that's a great person to go latch yourself onto. And, um, you look at like right now, Arizona state, their current GA Tyler Shoemate, he was an intern for us and he just lasted on with the injury guys. So there are three or four injured guys that summer we had him and he just 
coached the heck out of him. And, and, um, he earned himself that position because he managed those guys with everything he had. And that's a great way to start kind of get your feet wet coaching because it's not really, if you are wrong about something, it's kind of low risk. Um, but you also, we as, as full-time staff can now trust you. We, we start putting trust in you because you can handle this small group of guys. So then you come work over with our team. If you're working with volleyball, I know, hey, you're going to watch these two racks. So you kind of slowly build that trust as you go. Um, second piece of advice I would say is is stay professional. You know, as an intern, typically you are not much older or you are like the same age as a lot of those junior, seniors, fifth-year athletes so it can be really easy to kind of cross that line because you guys are all kind of the same age so you know i don't know tread lightly is the right word but just be professional and understand like okay i am in this position like they don't i don't need to act or i don't need to be 21 22 years old around these kids like when i'm on my own time sure but you know when i'm on the floor working with these athletes i need to i need to be professional i need to separate myself from that kind of like younger mindset and treat myself as a full-time coach even though i am an intern um and again i think that just really builds the, the good rapport with the athletes it builds good trust with the full-time staff and then you know when you start applying for ga ships you know i'm 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 sitting here backing you 100 like this is this guy or this this girl is a real deal like they need um they are a must hire yeah you know that makes me think of i know when my for me, during my first full-time role, having just graduated from the master's program at Michigan State and, and being really only about two years older than our fifth-year seniors, that you know, I, I came into that role and I, I think I was 29 years old for seven years. You know, like I just yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I didn't want them to be like, I'm only two years older than you. And yeah, but I'm an authority figure and I want you to learn and I want you to kind of take take the advice that we're saying. So I think that's in- incredible advice as remaining professional. I think that's something that I kind of learned the hard way, you know, because I was, I had two teams at Dayton when I was uh, in my fourth year, wow. you know, so I'm literally coaching kids that were in the same grade as me. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like they're a senior on the, on the women's running team or senior on the, on the men's tennis team. Like I, I'm coaching you and I, but I'm also in your class. We're graduating together. So that's, you know, it was hard to kind of create that separation. So that's something as, you know, it was a skill to be honest with you. Like it's really hard when you're 20, 20, 21 years old. It's really hard to, to have that skill and have that mindset. Yeah. Um, but as each year went on, I was able to further and further understand like, okay, this is more and more important. I really need to create that separation. And so it's a skill that, that you acquire. But I think if you have the right mindset going in, your internship like you said like you're 29 years old for seven years in a row like you gotta do if that's what you gotta do that's what you gotta do and um you know to kind of go off on a tangent here like we have a lot of part-time uh staff here at stanford i think we have five or six of them and all of them have done an unbelievable job at creating that separation like um one of our coaches molly pfeiffer who works with me like she's done she's 21 years old she she was intern for us in her last uh winter and spring as a senior in college and she's in here working with some of our fifth year volleyball girls who are literally older than she is. And you would never know. She, I mean, she's done an incredible job and hopefully she does not get hired from this because I really need her to operate. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, so just to kind of go off on a tangent, like those, they all came in, that intern class came in and, you know, with their mind, right. And, you know, it's paying off for them because they went from being interns to now all being part time. And so hopefully, in the next year or so, like either are working here or 
we get them full-time jobs, you know, down the line and they're going to kill it. So, um, you know, having that mindset, having that, having that ability to separate yourself is just, it sets you up for an enormous amount of success through this show and through other podcasts and other shows that there's a lot of similar threads between coaches, right? And there's a lot of similarities and, and commonalities between coaches that operate at a very high level. Uh, program design, the way they think, the the things, the resources they look to, but also there's some differences. And we all have different opinions and that is what essentially makes it fun and it makes us human. And I, I'd love to sort of explore some of the opinions that you might have. Um, and this is a, a common question. I love to ask the the guests that come on this show, but is there any sort of bad recommendations that you hear in sort of strength conditioning or in education or in exercise science or, or whatever that, that seems to get echoed through the industry or things that you say, mm, you know what, maybe I don't actually really agree with that, but you hear it kind of commonly thrown around in strength conditioning i don't know if i hear like a commonly bad recommendation per se i think um i think some of the mistakes i've seen is is whether it be any coach really young old or indifferent um not being willing to make change or to learn more or not willing to be adaptable yeah. Um, so I think the industry, as we all know, is constantly evolving, and especially now with the emergence of technology, just kind of, you know, ballooning and taking over. I think there's a lot of pushback from the older generation of strength coach, um, which I don't know if that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that you know, is it the worst thing in the world? So I think when I hear anyone be or anyone act 100% resistance to something new or 100% resistance you know, to learning or just even having some insight, I think that's, that's the wrong way to go about it. And so, you know, if there's, you don't have to agree with everything, but I think if there's, if, if you're, if you're doing, if we're using HRV, for example, to track, you know, fatigue, you know, whether you think that's worth it or not, you should at least look into it. You should at least see what kind of results you get. And so, and if, and if it turns out that you don't really like the way HRV you know, the, the data it gives you, then, then you move on, you know, and that's just HRV, just a random example. Um, so that, that's just kind of, so again, I don't know if I, if it's like one singular or two, like, Hey, these are like the worst things you could possibly do or the worst things anyone's told you. I just think being resistance to change or, or just unwilling to, to even like look in anything I think is, is, is a mistake. What I really like about that too, is that and something that you and I shares that, that adaptability. And, uh, there's a phenomenal quote that I often share with our interns. Uh, and it's a Bruce Lee quote and I'm, you know, no disrespect to Kung Fu or anything like that, but you know, adapt what is useful, reject what is useless and add what is specifically your own. So I share that all the time with our internship staff here is that, look, you're going to see things that you might not necessarily agree with. And that is okay. That's fine, right? Take something from it, adapt what you really, really like, what you think is useful, and maybe disregard what is useless for your situation, for your environment, for your context. But at least show the willingness to understand something and try to explore something. 100%. 100%. Like nothing should be out of the question, um, but we all have our – you know, what we like when there's things that, you know, we've seen along the way and, you know, our own philosophies and, you know, 
I think everything should get a chance to see kind of where it fits. And if it doesn't work, if it's not if it's not going to work, then you just move on from it. I don't think it's that doesn't make that idea or that concept wrong. It doesn't make it stupid. It just it just doesn't mean that it doesn't fit with your program, but it might work great with somebody else. So yeah. I think it's 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 not black or white. I think everyone's got to be able to, you know, at least show the ability to be adaptable if they wanted. To bridge that question, I'd love to ask maybe a two part question here, and that is, you know, within the last say three years, is there anything like that, whether it's a new belief, a behavior, a tool, a resource that you're using that has improved sort of the services that you provide for your student athletes? And that's, that's sort of the first part of it. But then same question, right? Anything, beliefs, philosophies, behaviors, tools, resources that improved your life outside of coaching, right? So the coach that you are, the person that you are when you're not on the floor, when you're not coaching, is there anything that in the last three to five years that's improved your life? And then whether it's performance technologies or things you're doing differently for your student athletes to approve their sport performance, their durability, or their resolve. Yeah, so I think within, you know, within the weight room and within, you know, the, the my program, and I think um, as, as I've researched and, and implemented more and more um, fatigue management or workload management, um, I'm going to use systems for lack of a better word. Um, I think that's really helped me with my programming, just understand wh- how, what it is I'm doing, how, what kind of effect that has on the athletes internally or physiologically, and also looking at like how our practice loads will affect the athletes. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a way for me to kind of like bridge the gap between practice and training and make sure that one, we're training appropriately to manage the workloads of our practice and manage the workloads of our competitions and understand we can make sure our athletes can handle those. But I also think it just gives me good insight to how each kid reacts to a certain type of training. Everyone is so different. And so if you're using a simple RPE scale and just doing a session RPE to, to get an internal load, you know, you know, I might have one athlete who's just, a, who is just mentally just a stud and she might give right every every workout, every conditioning session, a three or a four, because she just can mentally overcome, you know, tough situations where someone else may not. So it's, and every workout is going to be a seven or an eight or whatever the case may be. So it's good to know how each athlete differs, so you can establish a, a your relationship with each athlete is going to be a little different. So I think that's really really important, and that's helped me more from the programming standpoint, but more from a like a person person. Uh, like a relationship standpoint, being able to personally connect with the athlete and have those conversations about, you know, again, if we want to talk just about being physical, if we want to talk about how to be better leaders, if we want to talk about how to mentally overcome like hurdles in the conditioning, you know, so that's really helped me from a sports performance standpoint. Um, just kind of that emergence of sports technology or just kind of using those, those uh, recovery, you know, management mo- models or however you want to call them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, out, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, yeah, go ahead, Outs- please. <laughs> yeah, out, outside the weight room, um, you know, I, I think it's just the years have gone on and, and you know, as each, 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 as each year goes on, I've, I've been able to just further and further be more comfortable in my role and responsibilities. And so I think that has helped me outside to relax a little bit. I think I was a little high strung as the early years were on. Um, I think it's just a lot of stress, like, and, and, you know, like it's long days and, you know, you string them all together. And especially like when I was working football at Arizona state, like it's high pressure, man. Like every game you lose, 
you just feel that pressure like man like are we are we gonna get fired or are we gonna be good um so i think as years have gone on i've been able to better and better handle all of that and i give all that credit to my wife you know she has been absolutely amazing you know she she's been you know a huge catalyst for me and and helping me do, or allowing me to like do this job and work the hours. I mean, she was an athlete herself. She played volleyball at Dayton, and so she understands the demands of of what it takes to prepare for a season and prepare, you know, to be successful. And so she she has been unbelievably great in, in terms of understanding, you know, how this job is. And she's fully immersed herself in the culture of all the teams I've worked with at all the schools I've worked with, um, you know. And she's really she loves the family atmosphere. So she's, you know, she makes it a point to be involved. And I think that's absolutely great. And that's what's kind of allowed me to do what I, to do the job that I'm most passionate about. I'm so glad that you touched upon it because I know that, you know, in other shows that I think not a lot of people have talked much about that, but the demands and the sacrifices that a spouse goes through when, and then when they, in some respects, didn't sign up for the aspect of, of being married to a coach, the, the, the challenges, the demands, the stressors, the, the, the scheduling of, uh, of what our profession sort of requires and, and not to put us at a, at any, you know, on a pedestal by any means, because there's so many different other professions that make even greater sacrifices, both time and, and livelihood and, and security. But, you know, I, I really wanted to, to, to take a moment and say like for my own wife, yeah, absolutely. It's a tremendous sacrifice that they make, but for any coach's wife or husband or whoever, it's a huge sacrifice. But, uh, I'd love to, because I know I was going to ask you this down the road a little bit when you do feel sort of overwhelmed or unfocused or stressed, or you've, you know, you, whatever it might be like, is there any particular habits or routines or things that you do to sort of outside of the gym to restorative essentially to, to regain that focus, to regain that passion, to regain that sort of attention to manage your own stressor uh, as a release to maybe provide you an opportunity to go back on the floor and, and to redouble down your efforts in, in your coaching. Is there anything that you particularly do? I wouldn't say there's like a recurring habit. I would say that in stressful, so like, you know, on that off day and the most stressful weeks of the most stressful of months, really making sure that, you know, my wife and I, Rachel, we step away, you know, on that off day and we do something for us. And I think that's been, it's, it's, it's that moment or it's that, uh, you know, stepping away that really reignites because you just you have that day where it's just like I'm thinking of nothing about work as hard as it may be you know especially like in an in-season when you're really you know on Monday off day you're still at work obviously um you know as hard as it may be it's we, we work hard to, to take those opportunities um to step away and especially like again in an off season you know if, if it truly is an off season and you have a Friday Saturday off which are, are I know are rare but we try again. We we take advantage, and she has done a great job in making sure, like, hey, like, let's let's do this. Let, let let's go somewhere. Let's you know take a little or do a staycation or something along those lines. Let's take time for us to go and just be together, and that always reignites the flame to come back because you just get some R and R, even if it's for twenty four hours, and you come back to work just feeling a little more rejuvenated about about life outside of the weight room. And I think that helps when you come back in, you know, because you know 
the passion is there. And so, um, that, that's typically like kind of how we handle, we handle those situations and that stress. Just to explore that road a little bit, not just stress management, but I wanted to kind of tie back into sort of the technology and, and, and this show mm-hmm. is by all means sort of a, an all encompassing, uh, choose your own adventure sort of road show. So it's, it's, it does happen to jump around, uh, all over, which is sort of sure. <laughs> the, uh, the essence of the show. But, uh, you know, to, to go back to some of the workload management and the tools, the technologies that you've used. And I, I know I asked you that about, you know, in the last couple of years, what have you sort of adapted to help improve the services that you provide for your student athletes? And I, I think that's a great touch point. And as a sort of a technologist myself and a, a kid that grew up in the computer and internet era, uh, performance technology is is something that I'm fascinated by. And uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to sort of explore maybe some of the, the tools that you guys are using. You've already mentioned... Uh, you know, like session RPE and workload management uh, and the catapult units. My sort of selfish question is, is it, you know, like S5 units? Are you guys using um, the smaller sort of indoor devices? And then to expand on that, what other sort of technologies does a Stanford that is heavily resourced and and financially capable, what, what other technologies are you guys using to bring out the very best in your athletes? So with the catapult, we're using S fives. Um, obviously, we're just we're, we can't get any, any of the GPS metrics because we're inside. Um, so we primarily, from a GPS standpoint, just look at uh, primarily right now is player load. We're taking it small. I'm looking on my own at some different metrics as well, but uh, we're just looking at player load and using that to to, to create our own acute to chronic workload ratios for our external load. Um, and then we're using the session RPE. So we just take RPE times duration for the internal load. And so those are our main two metrics that we're looking at right now from a workload management standpoint. Um, in terms of like a wellness tracking, we do three surveys a day. We do a morning wellness, um, which they'll do HRV. We use HRV for training is the app. Um, and so that's, we're fortunate enough to have teamwork. So like we, I just send out the link to our survey, on through like a teamworks uh text message uh they do a pre-practice survey so let me, let me go back our morning wellness survey you know we do hrv we ask like how's how's your social stress on a scale of one to ten how's your academic stress how's like your student athlete stretch stress we look at uh we ask how many hours did you sleep how was the quality of that sleep and then what kind of day do you have upcoming is it a difficult day um you know on a scale of one to ten ten being the most difficult our pre-practice surveys kind of revisit those things. So we ask, like, did you properly fuel for today's practice? Um, how's your day been going? So we look at the difference between – so if they said, hey, today's a 10 for me. It's the most difficult day ever. And then they come into practice and they're at a t- – and the, we ask how the day is going and it's a 2. We say, hey, you're having a pretty good day. Like what's – you know, what? why was it so great? Oh, yeah, it was a really hard test. I went in there. I nailed it. And then my, new, my 12 o'clock class got canceled. And I had a really great lunch, so today's going great. So it's, but then we also see the flip side of that. We see, hey, like today, my typical days are three. They come into practice, and their their days are nine. And how's it going? Today's a nine, which is like, which is bad. So we're, hey, what what happened? Oh, I I totally forgot to do this homework assignment, or you know, whatever the case may be. So it's good, it's good insight, you know, before going to a practice, how our athletes are mentally, like how they're kind of coming in, like mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, lastly, we do a post practice survey. 
which again, we asked them to give us the RPE. And then we also asked some simple questions, kind of like, hey, rate yourself, scale of one to 10, how'd you feel at practice today? Or how'd you, how'd you feel like you performed? Um, did you feel sharp and quick? How mentally sharp were you? How mentally engaged were you? Uh, things like that. So we kind of get their own, like, you know, kind of some self ratings. So we can kind of go back afterwards and, and just kind of see like how they felt about their own performance. Um, so it's a pretty comprehensive, we do it with just volleyball and beach volleyball. So it's pretty comprehensive in terms of everything we're collecting. Um, but it, it's, it's great insight for us because we're, we, we're, we're literally sitting here and looking at week by week and saying, okay, like we want our workload, external workload to be, you know, about a one for this week. We want to, we want to maintain a one, 1 1.0, you know, until we get to about the NCAA tournament, then maybe take it down to a 0. 0.9, 0. 0.85, something in that range. Um, you know, so a lot of teams in the country are just cutting the legs out this time of year with it kind of getting close to postseason, and we're pushing. So yeah. we're trying to maintain this workload that we've built up, um, which is which is awesome. You know, I think there's a stigma behind using GPS or using or, or tracking workload of of hey, like we're gonna we have to we have to reel everything in. Like we're doing just the opposite. We're trying to make sure we push to that very outer limit as far as we can go before we push too far. And because of that, we're seeing some really great data. Um, you know, we're kind of getting in front of some illnesses. We're seeing that if we increase training load between 12 to 14% week to week, um, you know, we, we have some kids start to get little head colds. We're four for four on predicting it, and it's happened. And so we're kind of starting to, like, see these trends. And I'm not saying we're going to we're gonna prevent illness or prevent injury, but we're seeing these trends now that as the year's upcoming, we can actually make some pretty informed decisions based on our data. And, again, everyone's end of one, so everything is very – individualized so we take everything with a grain of salt like you know if we have some kids you know kind of in the red from a workload standpoint and we we can't just like react we sit down we look at the calendar coach i look at the calendar and say okay well she's in the red today but tomorrow is a travel day so we're not practicing and then we're you know so typically so it's like basically an off day and then uh friday is just a surpass practice so we're actually going to be able to rebound a little bit for our for our friday evening match and be just fine so Again, we, we take everything. It's easy to react when you see, you know, red squares pop up in your in your morning wellness or your post practice survey or whatever. But it's we take everything with with a grain of salt and take try to take that global picture and how we react to each athlete on an individual basis. No, I think what what really helps out for you is that you have the understanding of not only the, the sport technology and what the metrics are and what you're looking at, but you also have a rich understanding of what the context in which the athlete is going to be exposed to. And sometimes I think when I've had conversations with other sports scientists that are slightly removed from the sport, that they lack some of the understanding of the context. So, you know, they, they will see those red squares. They will see you know, player load that's exceeding their acute chronic and, you know, immediately go to try to, to pull back on that without understanding that the next day is just serve and pass or it's a travel day exactly. or whatever. And that we can use those moments of opportunities to allow them to recover and rejuvenate and, and to get where they need to be. And, uh, and, you know, I, you, you touched upon it and I thought it's just bears worth repeating is that I think the commonality with GPS and using some of these player load metrics is that, you know, people from the outside looking in think that sports scientists and people that use technology want to restrict the sort of opportunities yeah. for a sport coach to practice, to train, to do whatever. And I think that couldn't be further away from the truth. We want to 
uncover when those moments of opportunity are to push farther, to push harder, to go greater. Um, but when the windows close for particular athletes because of social stressors or academic stress or physical external loads, then maybe that's a time where we, like you said, very early on in the show, we adapt, we make a change, we do something different. We alter a training schedule to allow them, uh, what they physically need at that moment. Um, and I think that's not, that's not being a player's coach. That's not being, uh, you know, a pushover, that's being smart. That's using the, the qualitative data, the, the quantitative data that you have in a qualitative way to make the best decision you can for a student athlete to put them in the best possible place to be successful. Exactly. And we're prioritizing their health yeah. overall. So, and by prioritizing their health, if they're, if they're healthier and performing better and winning more, they're going to have a, just a better overall experience. So it's, it's not just about the wins and the losses, you know, it's about the overall experience for the athlete and maximizing everything we can out of them. And again, it's on an individual basis. So if you're someone who never plays, it doesn't mean we can't maximize how we're training you and we, it doesn't mean we can't maximize your workload. So, um, exactly right. Like it's, it's, it's so much more than just wins and losses, like the, the, the personal relationships, you know, if I can reach out to a kid and say, Hey, like you slept three hours last night. Is everything okay? Oh yeah. I'm just up late time for exam. Like, while it seems so, so minor and seem, it may seem insignificant. Like that little reach, reaching out just to make sure a kid is okay. goes a long way with your relationship with a kid. They know that I care about them more than just what they're doing on the platform or on the court. You know, I care about how they are as people outside, outside of the building. Um, and that to me, I think just, just, and at the end of the day, just goes so much further in terms of like their overall experience and development as as humans. Yeah, I think we we as a profession, and there's there's people that do this incredibly well. And this is, you know, my I guess podium to to say this to the audience that might be potentially listening to this is that you know so much of what we need to do is continue to close that feedback loop, and that if there are athlete readiness questionnaires or wellness questionnaires or metrics that we're collecting that we circle back and we have those conversations and that's uh yeah that is so important you know like to reach out and to have those touch points in an athlete's lives and say hey you know i recognize that that you're a little bit down or that you reported that your social stress is a little bit higher like is there anything i can do to help what's going on in your life and, and to have that sort of intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation of understanding all the various stressors an athlete has i think really goes a long way into showing that that we care because there's not a coach across the country. I don't think that that doesn't care for the athlete. It's just that there's a miscommunication in, in the, the behaviors that we might potentially have by not having that conversation or not building that rapport, that relationship with an athlete. And, and that's something I see so often. So credit to you to, to, to physically have and return to those touch points and those conversations with student athletes. So I, uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know, you know, off days and, uh, come few and far between, especially in the, the, yeah. in the second half of conferences, we're starting to get further and further into this thing. So I just wanted to follow up and, and, you know, again, and maybe a last question or so, and then, uh, and wrap this up for you so that you can get back to your wife and, and, to, to have a little bit of a Sunday for you, but you know, again, I, I said that it's very easy to look at somebody like you in a position that you're at and think that, you know, you have all the resources, you have the, 
the, the financial aspects of, of Stanford being as well-funded as they are. But, you know, being successful, being in this position where it's a high-profile, you know, Stanford volleyball is, is, is known uh, as a pro- proverbial powerhouse within volleyball. Is there anything that w- when being successful, are there any potential downsides of, of all of this that maybe somebody, an intern, uh, a volunteer or a graduate assistant looking at a position like you have, is there any potential downsides of, of having this success? Yeah, I think there comes, you know, obviously when it comes to having continued success, there's always that pressure to perform and and pressure to, pressure to, to have this like extreme output of like we're the best all the time. And I think when that happens, it's easy to try to um, reinvent yourself year to year, quarter to quarter, semester to semester, whatever it is. Like I got to be on the latest and greatest because I won Stanford Volleyball and we just won the national championship and we're trying to repeat. So I got to find, you know, the latest and greatest and, and change the way I do everything. And that's not necessarily always the answer. Um, you know, when I, when I, when I was a full player at Dayton, I was voted team captain and my head coach sat me down and he gave me the best advice I think I've ever been given. He said, he said, you were voted team captain because of who you are, not because of who people think they want you to be. So be yourself. Um, don't try to be something like now because team captain, some, you know, something different than you. And that to me has just resonated so much because that is an amazing piece of advice. And, you know, cause our strength coaches, while we have to be adaptable and we have to be, you know, on the front edge and try to be, and try to ever be adapting to, you know, produce the best program and give our athletes the best service. At the same time, I can't be changing myself as a, as a person year in, year out just because of some success that we're having. I need to stay humble. I need to stay hungry and I need to keep, keep on the grind and keep working hard and keep trying to learn as much as I can. It's never a finished product. And so just because we won a championship and, you know, the Tuesday before the championship, we were trap bar deadlifting 90% for a couple singles. Doesn't mean that that's, you know, okay, this is how it is. Um, you know, I have to keep researching and keep and keep evolving. And so that's, a, I feel like as anyone, you know, who, who stops at evolution of themselves as, as a coach um, is because of the, the status they're in, you know, if, if they feel as if they've made it so to speak, I think that's, that's, that's an easy pitfall and easy trap to fall into. Yeah, no doubt. Well, with Stanford volleyball, it's uh, 13, I think, and O in Pac-12 right now. I, I want to wish you guys and you as a coach as much success as I possibly can, although we, we stand across the court <laughs> from each other. <Yes>. So <laughs> I'd like to see Colorado volleyball uh, deliver bad news, but at the end of the day, I want everybody to compete as hard as they can and to be healthy and to walk off that court injury free. And uh, if if both of us could win, that would be great. However, yeah. that is not uh, that's not sport, and that's, that's not, not the fun of it, right? So, hey, yeah. uh, if a coach that is listening to the show, if they could want to reach out to you, and and maybe they're passing through and they want to buy coffee and sit down and pick your brain. What's the best and easiest way that a coach could reach out and ask you some questions? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you just, I, I'm on public. So if you look up Tyler Friedrich or my username is Friedrich T1, um, that's a great way to get a hold of me and send me a message on there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is T Freeds. That's T F R I E D S 75. Um, and just send me a message on there. I'm, I'm pretty. 
I'm pretty much in tune with this stuff. So, you know, I try to respond as quick as po- quickly as possible. And you can always send me an email. My uh, if you go on our website, gostanford.com, uh, my email address is on there. So it's easy. You know, send me an email, and you know, I, I really try to respond to those pretty quickly because you know that's just how we communicate in today's world is via email. So, um, you know, if anyone wants to reach out on any of those three platforms, like I'm, I'm pretty accessible and would love to talk with anybody coming through. We have two facilities here on campus that are great to see and our campus is beautiful as well. So if anyone's ever around, feel free to reach out. Well, coach, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the decoding excellence show. And I look forward to, uh, to heading out there at some point in time and, and uh, sharing a drink together, coffee, whatever, and yeah. uh, and touching base, man. But thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks. I want to thank Coach Tyler Friedrich from Stanford Sports Performance for coming on the Decoding Excellence show and sharing just some of the advice that he's received through his own coaching journey. I took a lot away from the conversation when we started to discuss performance technology and GPS and how he is using that to calculate acute chronic ratios for the student athletes that he works with. This was a fun conversation, one that shares his wisdom, the successes in his coaching journey, some of the failures, and offers a lot of practical advice for young coaches in the industry. So I just wanted to thank Coach Friedrich for coming on the Decoding Excellence Show, investing his time with the listening audience of the Decoding Excellence Show. So Coach Friedrich, thank you so much for hopping on. But like always, I wanted to thank you, the listener, the audience who is listening to the Decoding Excellence Show right now. Without you and the feedback that you've provided over the last several months, this show wouldn't exist. So thank you so much for your continued support with the Decoding Excellence show. And please, if you like this show, do two things for me. Number one, share it on your favorite social media of choice, right? And this will allow the circulation of the show to new people who wouldn't otherwise have discovered or explored the Decoding Excellence show. And simply by sharing it, you're helping the industry out. Secondly, please go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This is the game of podcasting, right? Shows that have a higher review find its way up through the podcast charts and are more discoverable. So if you log on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, the show can be discovered more and therefore you're helping the industry by putting this in the spotlight for other strength and conditioning professionals who are getting into this industry. And like always, this is an exploration of the tools, the tactics, the habits, and the intangibles that go into really decoding excellence performance. Thank you again. Hey, everybody. I wanted to remind you that today I'm sending out my weekly newsletter. And what this newsletter consists of is just a couple sentences, a few paragraphs, that is describing some of my favorite things, some of the things I've been finding interesting online. It could be research, it could be things I'm exploring, books I'm reading, things I'm listening to. I think you're gonna get a lot of value out of it. It won't spam your inbox, it comes out once a week, and it's a great way to stay connected into the world of what I'm thinking and what I'm exploring. So head over to adamringler.com, pop in your email, and you'll begin receiving the weekly newsletter immediately. And if you haven't already, please pop over to facebook.com, start to follow Adam Ringler, 
where you'll receive any of the updates and the latest podcast and Decoding Excellence show materials online. So check it out at facebook.com forward slash Adam Ringler.